Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories and we'll be joined by various business people each episode to discuss the news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting out their legal problems. Thanks for listening to this intro and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. Welcome along to this week's episode of The Business Herald podcast. This week I am joined by Paul Green and Libby Langley. Paul Green has been a business owner since 2003, so has survived at least one recession. And he now runs the Business Community, a group based on collaboration and support with around 140 members, all looking to grow their business and help others do the same. He's worked with hundreds of business owners, providing business advice and coaching. Libby, meanwhile, is a social media strategy expert. She works with small businesses behind the scenes to give real clarity on their online direction. She has an MBA in social media marketing strategy and is a qualified tutor and has run her own business for nearly nine years. Welcome along. Thank you. Thanks for you. So this morning we are greeted by the news that GDP growth in the economy is uh, in August is 2.1%, which is um, the economy generally is down from where it was pre-lockdown in uh, February stats. Um, Meanwhile, another survey came out and said that only 35% of businesses say that trading is, quote, good which means that uh, the other percentages didn't agree and thought it wasn't good um, or was poor. Um, we also have some stats out this week that said one third of workers are currently actively job seeking. Um, but we've got stats as well saying that recruitment has grown at its fastest pace uh, in the last couple of years. So my first question to you, Paul, is are we on the road to recovery or is this a long and deep recession? What are your thoughts? I think it's a bit of both, Stephen. I think, yes, we are on the road to recovery, but it is going to be a slow and potentially arduous journey. I mean, before the the lockdown, before the the COVID situation, um, you know, um, financial people were saying that uh, we were going to have a recession and it was going to be one of the worst that we experienced. So that was already on the cards and forecast anyway, to an extent, wasn't it? And I guess the the, the COVID situation hasn't helped that. so yeah, so I think it's it's it is a road to recovery, but it is going to be a bit arduous. And um, I think as small businesses represent, I think it's fifty plus something percent of the economy, then they're in a good place, I think, to contribute to that. I think as you've touched on in some of your previous episodes, you know, the SME the SME world is in a better place to respond and adapt and contribute to the economy going forward. And I think from my experience, some of the small businesses I work with, you know, they are adapting. They are um, a little bit taking it on the chin, if you like, and um, just, you know, looking looking to the future, despite, you know, what surrounds them. Yeah, we talked on previous podcasts about, you know, the SMEs, they're being, because of their size, they're more agile, they're more able to pivot and adapt to the circumstances. And, and of course, it's more essential for them to carry on. You know, most small businesses are, are actually, you know, one-man bands. Um, they might not even employ staff, and that allows them to make those, make those changes. Um, Libby, the, the the job market seems to be uh, seems to be thriving at the moment. Recruitment is is happening. 
Um, interesting stat said that um, you know recruitment advertisement job job adverts are have increased um, over the last two months, but salaries have dropped, um, and that's obviously you know organisations really taking advantage in effect of the uh, the higher demand for jobs. Um, but what are your views? Do you think uh, being on the coal face of small businesses, do you think um, that actually businesses have confidence that it's going to be okay? Or, or is it a struggle? Well, most of the businesses that I work with are micro businesses or solopreneurs, um, one-man bands. And certainly as Paul's already said that we're an adapt and adapt, survive and thrive kind of, kind of group. But friends who work within recruitment, I know that they have never been busier really. And there are an awful lot of jobs being created, but conversely, there are an awful lot of jobs being made redundant, I think as slightly larger businesses with staff are adapting to survive and thrive the same, but that does mean that there are casualties of that. And so the redundancies, um, certainly in in what I've seen, the redundancies are still outweighing the, the new posts. Yeah, absolutely. There's 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 still a huge amount of redundancies um, happening this week. Again, we've had more redundancies uh, being announced, more job losses being announced. Uh, but they're all obviously the ones that are reported in the press are all the big organisations. Certainly, in my uh, in my in my day job as a solicitor, I'm seeing still lots of um, people needing to make redundancies uh, as companies and and people individuals that are being made redundant as well. Lots of people um, seeking advice on whether or not they're that's fair or right etc um but uh usually they are coming from those bigger organizations and I, in the past i've said the same i'll say it again it's it's probably because they've been a bit overweight um in terms of staffing levels and now they realize that well, actually they've got to you know shed some uh shred some of that weight um and the other aspect of it is that um and I, I saw this recently in a, in a law firm um, in, uh, actually they're in the Midlands. I think they, they might have some down south. They've made around about a hundred staff um, redundant. And they, they acknowledged that actually it was um, because they'd over, you know, they'd taken on too many staff on the um, anticipation of some really good growth. And then it all kind of just stopped. And so they can't carry on employing that level of staff. Um, but one of the things that I've said, um, Paul, and I don't know whether or not you agree with this, is that for a small, uh, a smaller business, not a not a, a, um, a one man band, but you know, a smaller, medium sized business? Actually, um, the whole process of the, the redundancies can be a, an opportunity, but it's something that no one ever talks about. No one ever calls it an opportunity, but it's an opportunity for some to be able to. Um, uh, to, 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 to go on a diet and lose some of those workers that perhaps aren't, you know, pulling their weight as much as they should do, the ones that are a little bit awkward, the ones that uh, they're a little bit difficult. Uh, I'm not saying that's right or wrong in terms of, you know, there might be a claim and obviously not doing it on any kind of discriminatory basis, um, but it allows those smaller businesses that do have staff to maybe, you know, fine tune where they're at and then blame it on the economy. I think you're right, Stephen. Um, you know, I've heard a number of stories through the business that I meet and people that work within um, 
uh, uh, HR and, and recruitment are seeing that type of thing. I think there is a little bit of cleansing that goes on and they use the excuse of, of this, you know, with furlough coming to an end and some of the stats you've mentioned, you know, there will be more people on the job market or encouragingly, there might be more people that are looking to start, start up their own business. So I think, yes, the, 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 I think in the last recession, the same sort of thing happened, didn't it? You know, people were taking it, as you said, as an opportunity, probably not the right word, um, uh, to strip down their, their, their staff levels. Um, and also, I think the, the remote working has had people see that they can actually work remotely and not have um, the reliance on an office anymore. So I think that's going to have an impact, isn't it, where they don't need maybe as much administrative staff out there or, or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, Libby, I can see that you uh, you don't agree. So, what's your viewpoint? Well, no, Paul just Paul just made one of the points that um, I've been I've been waiting to make is that um, some of the there will always be the the fat lost. Um, and having spent quite a number of years in the public sector, there's certainly uh, industries and sectors where there's a lot of that floating around. So, yes, partly it has been it will have been used as a strategic. Um, uh, a strategic decision by businesses to get rid of people under the COVID banner but also as Paul just said the the fact that businesses are now managing their efficiency by having staff working from home perhaps being a much leaner operation with people furloughed and realizing that they need to be more efficient they need to make more use of technology there actually aren't enough staff needed so whilst the casualties is of it all is, is terrible. It's dreadful that people are losing their jobs and, and their livelihoods are suffering. Actually, in terms of business efficiency overall, it's not been a negative exercise because we can all operate and businesses all can operate more leanly. Um, and I think, again, Paul's point that business people are starting up working for themselves. I think more businesses have, the, sorry, more individuals have the confidence to be able to do that. Because, again, if they've been working from home, doing it, doing a job for someone else, they've perhaps seen the opportunity to be able to do that job for themselves. And not, not earn anyone else the money, just earn it for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So, so. Um, I, and I think perhaps more more than ever, more than more than in the last uh, recession and recessions before, because of the ease of, uh, you know, I've been able to work from home, the ease of the technology, the ease of being able to deliver the services, all it takes, you know, some connections, some, um, you know, uh, a, a website, maybe, you know, do some marketing, do some networking with with Paul's group. And, and, and all of a sudden you can have a, a small business growing quite quickly from from redundancy and I should also just say that not of course not every business sees redundancy as an opportunity in in the current uh, current climate and I know for many and particularly the the smaller ones which you know you'd call a, a micro enterprise they find it incredibly difficult because they're, they're 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 having to get rid of people that they like love and work with on a daily basis and have done for you know 10 15 20 years sometimes and they're torn between who to pick and, and how do they decide and so they, it can be a really difficult thing so i'm not i'm not trying to diminish that fact at all when i call it an opportunity um it's just some people call it an opportunity some people see it as an opportunity i would um, imagine it will lead to a few tribunals going forward i can see a huge amount uh, a huge amount there's already a backlog uh, in employment tribunals um in england and wales if you want a, a tribunal hearing now you're looking at late 2021 on what it is sometimes it might mm. even be 2022 apparently wow 
Um, so yeah, there's a, there's already a huge backlog of uh, employment tribunal claims, and there will just, be just, more. Sorry, just just saying on that, the um, uh, having myself um, what, four or five years ago making a, a strategic change to my business, and actually I made four staff redundant because I decided to, I, I didn't like the direction my business was going in and I wanted to go back to working from home on my own. And it's the most heartbreaking decision. So yeah. business owners that we all know who've got half a dozen staff and are now either don't have the work to be able to continue at that level or are making this strategic change to their business direction. I mean, my heart absolutely goes out to them because it is, it's not somebody in HR delivering the bad news, but with a team supporting them. It's you, people you love and you care about and, and really affecting everybody's lives. So it's, yeah, it, it, that, that's not any, a decision that any small business owner will take, will take lightly, believe you me. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And, and it's one of those areas. So I, I have a, um, this is a blatant plug. I have a, a toolkit um, called the Redundancy Toolkit, which is available for small businesses and it helps them to go through a redundancy process, how to select people, um, you know, what letters to write, how to, how to get it right, legally speaking. Um, because so many employers, those, those smaller ones in particular, um, have never gone through that process before and they know it's uh, fraught with um, uh, landmines it's a minefield um, and they also know and anticipate that there's a risk that if they do get it wrong they're going to be taken to a tribunal on top of the emotional issues the stress of trying to pick somebody the fact that you know they're not, not just an employee but they're a friend a colleague that you've been working with such a long time so yet yeah, it, it is something that's that's really, really tricky. Um, and even my, you know, my toolkit has, as excellent as it is, of course, doesn't help on that emotional side. It doesn't tell people how to deal with that, you know, that, that really tricky emotional side. Um, but, but all I'd say in, in, in when I'm advising clients is um, the best way of doing a redundancy process is to make sure that it's, uh, you try as much as you can to take that emotion out. Um, and that's why where the, the kind of the legal stuff comes in, because we can all just document it and we do scores, not not subjective at all. It's all uh, completely objective based on things like that. Anyway, too much of a plug on to other news. Um, Tesco, uh, I think on Wednesday announced their um, their results. Um, obviously, Tesco's most of the Tesco stores um, uh, were allowed to open during lockdown as uh, essential stores. So they've done they've done pretty well. Um, but the, the figures show, and it's reported in all the newspapers this week, that they took approximately half a billion pounds from the government in a variety of different uh, ways, mostly rates relief, I think it was, and some furlough, um, but, uh, but mostly I think it was the rates relief. Um, so 500 million from the government, and then uh, conveniently then paid out 350 million to shareholders in profit. Um, so they've, they've, they've literally robbed Peter to pay Paul, um, is one way of looking at it. Um, Paul, they've not, uh, they've not robbed you, obviously. You weren't that Paul in that phrase, but um, the taxpayer was. What are your thoughts on, on Tesco and doing something like that? Well, it sounds a bit naughty, doesn't it, Stephen? I guess is the, is the phrase that comes to mind. <laughs> you know, good job we've got a lawyer on the call, you know, to be careful what you say about this. It's, it's, it's just not... On, is it? You know, if, if they'd made a gesture and paid some money back to the governments, which I know a lot of retail outlets, I think IKEA comes to mind. I don't think they actually took the money in this 
this country, but I know in other countries they paid it back. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's other organisations that have paid back the money. Um, and it's just doing the right thing, isn't it? You know, it's it's to it's to take that money and then give out dividends is just not not the done thing. You know, it's not it's not the gentlemanly thing to do, Stephen, is it? Um, so I, I just think you know a gesture would have been pay some money back to the government, have a little bit of profit, and do that. You know, just 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 be fair about it. Yeah, Libby, do you agree? Yeah, I do. It, um, you know, it's, I think the expression you're looking for, Paul, is that it's just not cricket. Yeah. Um, it, it, um, yeah. It, if they were entitled to the money, fine. Um, but yeah, absolutely. If they are continuing to um, retain the same amount of profit and, and probably increasing it because there was nothing to do but spend money on food for quite a few months, um, so they were going to be they they were going to increase their their profit. It just doesn't to me. It doesn't sit well that they would take the money and then hand out the profit at, at all. I don't, I, it doesn't feel ethical to me. No. I mean, a hundred million pounds of that was probably toilet rolls, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tin tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I think, I think it doesn't, doesn't quite align with all the stories that we've, uh, we've seen recently about the, the, the other coronavirus loan support schemes um, that we've talked about in the past, particularly with James Blacklaws being the, the kind of the expert on all of that. Um, in, in a story out this week, or the stats out this week, suggesting that £26 billion worth of, um, of loans, the bounce, bounce back loan scheme, um, is, is effectively going to be written off by the government, by the taxpayer, because of fraud, it being used for criminal activities, or it just being unviable to repay it, uh, despite it being extended to a 10-year period. So £26 billion. And, and And of course, the the application process for that uh, and other loans was specifically um, specifically required business owners, people taking it out, to, to say that they needed it, their business had gone down uh, because of coronavirus or would or, or may or would suffer an impact on it. Where and, and that was kind of a condition for taking out the loan. And of course, you couldn't use it for you know non business purposes you couldn't use it for personal purposes um so it's apart from the self-employment scheme you couldn't you know draw it out and use it um you know for your own personal drawings or salary it's uh, that those kind of rules were within that scheme and not allowed and yet tesco it seems because of the way in which they've used it obviously they've got grants um and the the, the rate relief from their properties that they've got um they say that they've, they've spent you know three quarters of a billion 750 million pounds on COVID uh, secure measures, so they've you know they've, they've invested a lot of money in there, and perhaps the, the the headlines reflect you know badly on them because it's quite easy for me to say well they took five hundred million and they gave out three hundred and fifty million, and in fact actually they've just done really really well. They have a really good online offering, and of course they were open during lockdown and they were busy. Libby, can I make a point on the? Um... Uh, kind of on that really and that they may have spent quite a lot of money on covid secure measures and i mean i don't i don't shop at tesco but i'm sure it's a very safe environment however my friends who are small business owners such as beauty salons they weren't allowed to uh, clinic aesthetic clinics that kind of places they weren't allowed to open until the beginning of august and all the ppe they have to wear and the um protocols they have to go through they've had to fund it themselves so why should a big organization be allowed to to divert their, their government funds 
towards something like that? Why should that be a justification when small businesses have just had to do it all themselves and are, and are arguably policed more? Because if environmental health turns up at your business where it's just you and two or three other colleagues, you could all be, you could just be completely shut down forever if you make one small mistake despite your best intentions. So to me, that just, it doesn't sit comfortably with no, me. No, or worst intentions, because I saw, uh, saw in the news this week, um, one shop uh, somewhere, I can't remember where it was now, um, had a sign up saying COVID free zone, you know, we don't need yeah. to wear a mask. Yeah. We, we don't have any PP, PPE. We're not taking any measures because it's all a, all a fraud. Um, yeah. It's all a hoax. And, uh, and then surprise, surprise, they were shut down quite quickly. Um, yeah. Perhaps yeah. not the best way to bring attention to the fact that you were a, a, a free thinker, um, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> uh, whatever that uh, you are. Um, yeah, so uh, so look, that's a, an ongoing issue um, there. One of the the recovery steps um, Rishi Sunak has been talking about is uh, is right now his focus is not on tax, it's on jobs. Um, that was his his quote. Um, but there's various think tanks that have come out in terms of um, what steps he should take. So one came out said um, that actually the um, the tax regime that was in place in the late nineties was the best one that was the that was the most productive in terms of tax incomes and economy growth which was a, a reduction in vat you know keep the corporation tax low uh, keep keep kind of the taxes low and allow that um, natural growth um another think tank this week came and said that uh the vast majority of britons think that a tax on wealth um is a better idea and a better concept than a tax on income national insurance obviously um, tax on wealth being, you know, what properties you own, what investments you've got, etc. Now, they're already taxed, of course, if you dispose of them, capital gains, if you uh, leave them to be inherited, an inheritance tax. But there's no kind of ongoing uh, tax. You know, if you've got, uh, you know, a million quid invested or you've got, you know, five million in property, there's not ongoing tax uh, for that wealth, just ongoing tax for the income. Um, Paul, do you think a tax on wealth would be fair it's it's a solution isn't it um you know the the trillions that we're in debt to has got to come from somewhere and um you know it's going to be a difficult decision to make work to to make it to where that because it's going to impact somebody um you know it's interesting i see that um billionaires have seen their fortunes rise by 27 percent during this pandemic so that's interesting. If they're going to be impacted by this tax, then I guess that's their way of, you know, paying back. It's it's how these things are implemented, Stephen, isn't it? If if it's done in a fair way, it would seem a bit unreasonable for you know certain people if they've wisely invested in properties or whatever it is, and now they're seemingly going to be penalised for that. Um, but the, the the money's got to come back from somewhere. You know, it's got to be a tax on something. So whether that's whether they do it fairly or not i guess that remains to remains to be seen doesn't it i i feel quite kind of conflicted about it really because just because you have wealth should you pay more tax on that than other people because mm. should you pay a higher proportion i mean i know on, on um, tax there's different tax bans for, for salaries and stuff but what I, I don't I don't know because if I suddenly became incredibly wealthy, why should I 
pay more for that if if it's earned by my own means or I inherited money or something. Like you say, when you've already paid tax on it once, I, I don't know how I feel about it really, but I think an immediate solution to the, the tax crisis that we're going to find ourselves in, the funding crisis, is just to get the people who should be paying tax to pay tax and close the loopholes. Because there are so many people, foreign investors, um, businesses who have their um, registered addresses overseas or in tax havens that just don't pay any tax to this country. And that's billions. And that would, would I think for everybody, would seem a fairer solution than me who suddenly gets really rich paying more i mean that's not what people that's not what people mean they want they want the dodgers to to pay and 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 why shouldn't they yeah maybe maybe that question um you know isn't a tax on wealth is in in people's head answering that question um they might be thinking well wealthy means a certain certain level not just someone that has you know two houses that rents it out because you know boyfriend and girlfriend both had a house and they decided to keep one and buy one and you know move in and they've you know now got married and that's kind of part of their assets and 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 things like that of course being um you know a a fat cat lawyer um (laughs) my 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 um my view is is, you think (laughs) yeah exactly i i i don't think you can tax wealth um because but primarily because you're already you you it's already been taxed um so you know you're taxing income you're taxing um you know that income it's the income that they've they've earned that's generated that uh that money actually my my thoughts uh and and the 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 best way and the most established way of recovering from you know a big thing like uh, like coronavirus um they, they call it keynesian uh, the keynesian theory which is uh happened every time um there's been a war which is just a massive public investment uh spending in pfi projects the problem we've got in this country is <laughs> what tends to happen is we get organizations like carillion that just make billions of pounds worth of profit from that investment and it doesn't flood down to everybody else but the the idea and philosophy behind it is that if we get the government just spending huge amounts of money building building um you know projects up and down the country everywhere um and then actually have a lower tax uh you know lower company corporation tax to get outside investment to, to come in um, so that we don't have organizations like Google, like the Starbucks that are using subsidiaries in, in Dublin and, and the Netherlands and, and elsewhere because, you know, to process payments um, because it's cheaper tax uh, over there. Well, actually, if we encourage them to be here and then take some tax from them, that's going to be a better overall yeah, net, uh, net tax gain. Mm. Um, so uh, another tax uh, thing, um, which perhaps doesn't impact most small businesses, uh, to, to be honest, but they, they scrapped quietly, I think, scrapped um, tax-free shopping, which is the, the, a part VAT refund uh, for international um, consumers coming to places like Bista. If you've been to Bista before, Bista, the designer village outlet um, full of uh, international tourists coming here to shop because they get, you know, 20% taken off the price tag um, in, a, in effectively in a cash refund, um, you know, when they've finished shopping. And we've, they've, they've scrapped that. And the general consensus um, seems among the people that are attracting that kind of um, business is that that was a wrong move because that immediately stops, you know, the UK being a place where people want to come and spend their money to go and buy all that nice, you know, expensive stuff. 
the flip side of that is, well, are they going to just buy that stuff anyway? Because if they want to come here and, and shop because it's all nice and British and want to come and buy some nice British brands or some luxury French brands or whatever, and we can get some VAT on it, maybe that's a way of offsetting um, offsetting things. But Paul, that's probably not something that affects most small businesses. Uh, not not really, I guess. Um, not many of the businesses I come across are, are in the retail sector. And as you said, on the surface, it seems at a time when we'd want to do whatever we could do to encourage people, to encourage the tourism in, industry, which has obviously been hit quite significantly over the past few months, it would seem to, to, to sneak that um, out of the way would be, a, I don't know, you know, if it's going to give a massive gain, um, and we don't know really what the what the tourism numbers will be, but I just think it's of of the money that's owed and of the way of getting it back. That's sort of like a minor thing that I don't think is going to make a major impact in terms of extra income. And as you say, some of the retailers are probably thinking it's going to have an impact on their on their business because people might not come over here now because their goods are twenty percent higher straight away, aren't they? It might, um, the impact might be on the processing, the, the jobs for the people who process it. it. I've had very limited experience in this, but when we went to Scandinavia for our honeymoon in March, um, we actually did claim on a, um, some jewellery that we, we bought and we did actually claim it back. And it seemed like the oddest thing to do, um, to be able to do it. But we thought, well, we're allowed to do it. So we did it. And, and it was an expensive thing new wedding ring for my husband on, um, on our honeymoon <laughs> bought it all, all the wrong way around um but, but we yeah we claimed you know we got a lot of money back and when we were at the airport um back in sweden then on the, at the airport coming home and bearing in mind we had to come home a day early because lockdown was soon to be announced and um it was all chaotic and there were a lot of international um travelers and the, their priority was claiming all the money back from all the things that they'd bought, not getting on a plane, getting home safely. And it was it, it was it was the weirdest phenomenon I've ever I've ever witnessed. It was just there were queues and queues and queues at the money back till um, desks, money back desks, and 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 nobody else in the whole airport. It was it was it was just really strange. It's a strange it's a strange concept, and I don't I think from. Um, Certainly China, I think, is one of our biggest um, countries who come over to, to make use of, of this. But I don't know if the virus will be the thing that makes a difference to that rather than that they can't claim the tax back. I, I would have thought it's, it's travel being difficult that mm. will impact our tourism. Maybe we should focus on you know, making the country safe and a viable destination at the moment. Maybe that should be the focus. Yeah, I think so. Just put a COVID-free sign up at uh, in, in um... Heathrow. Yeah, Heathrow. <laughs> yeah. Should be fine. We'll be fine. Maybe that's that's the answer. Um, is there <laughs> any other news stories that uh, that caught your eye this week, Paul? Um, it was it was just this um, kickstart scheme that I know you've touched on before on previous podcasts, and I think the issue at the time was. It's, it was it needed 30 people, I think, for a business to take advantage of it. Um, recently, the FSB um, have got involved and they're being, I guess it's a, a, an interim step between um, the, the smaller businesses and the government. So that means you can go through the FSB now. You don't have to be looking to get 30 people uh, on board. You know, I th- I'm not sure what the limitations are, but um, 
that's that's worth mentioning, I think, to, to listeners. If they thought the kickstart scheme wasn't applicable to them, if they go through the FSB, um, then I think um, there's an opportunity there to take advantage of it. And that might help some small businesses, um, uh, you know, bring people on board under, under that scheme. Yeah. So just to, just to recap on that scheme, uh, so the kickstart kick scheme uh, was intended to um, create thousands of high quality <clears throat> Thousands of high-quality six-month work placements for young people aged 16 to 24 who are claiming universal credit and are at risk of long-term unemployment. Under the scheme, the government will cover 100% of employment costs for 25 hours a week. That includes the employee's salary at an appropriate minimum wage for their age, as well as national insurance and pension contributions. So, you know, you get free kids, you know, under 24s. Free, for free coming to work and it was one of the criticisms of the scheme in the first place that it required you to have 30 vacancies so you know if if there's are if there are organizations local authorities or um you know uh, kind of union trade organizations like that that can allow resources to be pooled to that extent then that sounds like a, a great idea i think we talked uh, before on one of the podcasts about the the effect on that 16 to 24 um uh, year group and how they've been the worst impacted uh, age group uh, because of coronavirus job losses etc they're the, the, the highest unemployment rate um, which is why the kickstart scheme came into play um, and Libby if you were if you were a small business at that point and you, you were able to get that funding that's you know 100% funding for 25 hours from a a 16 to 24 year old for many businesses that sounds like well that could be a real help couldn't it yeah I mean I've had two um well I used to work in in education for an FE college so apprentices was was what we did um so I've always been a big fan of, of that and certainly in my own business I had um two apprentices one who was absolutely superb and, and continued to work for me remotely before it became fashionable um a few years ago and and it, it yeah the, even then though there was funding there were incentives there were grants so it was never a full cost service so i i absolutely i'm a huge advocate of it um what i don't want to see is businesses taking on young people to basically sort of sit them in a cupboard just so they get the money just to kind of tick sure. a do good box and it needs to be a proper job with proper opportunities and proper challenges for, for young people to, to face in the business world and develop. That, that would be my, yeah, the thing I would kind of look out for, really. I think for me, it's um, if I was a business looking at that, I'd, I'd take that opportunity to extract their, um, their unique approach to their, their life and business. You know, 16 to 24 year olds, is we hope it's the future of the country. Let's take their, how, how would they want their services to be delivered? You know, are they, are they really seriously going to, you know, to telephone, to book an appointment, to come and see somebody in a high street shop? Or are they going to, um, you know, fill in a form on WhatsApp and, uh, and then, you know, get everything done online? And, and, it, and, and it's that kind of thought process and unlocking of talent that I think really could be important under that Kickstarter scheme. Um, and, and be a real, uh, real benefit to small businesses to introduce some, some even, even more important changes and pivots, um, like Paul was talking about, you know, at the start. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Is there anything else that we need to talk about? I saw a story this week um, that is, is slightly more lighthearted, but is an interesting um, 
unwitting uh, business person, <laughs> business millionaire, the story that I saw was about somebody who had been over the years, he, well, he was a hoarder really, but he, he built, he amassed this enormous collection, something like 60 or 70,000 different items in Nottingham, I think, and of memorabilia. Uh, Beatles memorabilia and and things that that were worth an absolute fortune and unfortunately he died he wasn't um he wasn't very old at all and so in the clearing out of his house process they they estimate it that it's about four or five million pounds worth of um of of stuff that he's bought so I, I thought it was an interesting a very interesting story about kind of investing investing for your future really that was the angle angle I took from it that these things that we collect that are valuable to to us in time can be become valuable to others if you're anything like me it's probably just a room full of other companies pens (laughs) 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 probably what makes up the most of it yeah Yeah, absolutely Um, Paul anything that you found interesting this week yeah, not strictly a news story, but I caught sight of a documentary. And what it was about, it was about mining um, tips, old rubbish tips um, from sort of like the 80s or 90s. Um, the reason being, you know, we weren't that recycle friendly in those days. And the premise was that there are, there are, there are commercial organisations looking at this now um, to see what the viability is of mining, you know, these massive landfills um, to extract things, for example, the precious metals and things that are used mm-hmm. in mobile phones, because all the all these um, strange metals that you've never heard of that are really important in screens and the chips inside the phones and things like that, um, you know, that they're running out at a rapid rate. Because I think there's more mobile phones than there are people on the planet at the moment. Yeah. So, um, so that they they were looking at the viability of this. And it was it was quite interesting to sort of see that, you know, they thought they could make a commercial go of it um, by by just excavating these landfill sites and recycling plastic and metals and all those sort of things um, and 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 make money from that. You know, they've got technology now which robots can identify, you know, bits of metal, bits of plastic, those sorts of things. So they can sort of put it in the right um uh, a skip if you like so yeah i just thought that was an interesting thing you know talking about building what libby was saying about you know her example this this is this is sort of investing for the future on from people's rubbish from 30 years ago so i don't know that it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds and whether they'll be excavating tips anytime soon i think it's the way that we have to we have to kind of move things forward is, is look at everything in a slightly different way because we will at some point in the future become just an island full of rubbish <laughs> or, or, or wherever we ship it to will. Um, and I, yeah, so something like that, I can absolutely see being, being the future really, that there is, there is zero waste, not yet, but there will be a time when there's zero waste because it all has to be reused, recycled yeah. purpose. Yeah. Yeah, they, they reckon that these rare metals would, um, you know, start to be in very, very scarce supply in about a decade's time gosh you know which is not that far away um and uh, you know what do we do then unless you find new deposits and the expense of finding new deposits makes it worthwhile going back to tips you already know are there that are likely to have all these mobile phones and computers and electronic equipment that you can extract these rare metals from 
I'm just I'm just imagining them digging up, you know, mining a, a recycling center from the eighties and just getting lots of shell suits and mullets. <laughs> Maybe that's not the intention. Well, it all worked all right for Stigger the Dump, didn't it? He made, you know, he made life out of it. So <laughs> absolutely. Great. Well, Paul Libby, thank you very much for joining us on this week's The Business Herald podcast. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. And to everybody listening out there, thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast. Please visit our website at www.businessherald.co.uk. There you'll find the uh, box to subscribe to the weekly newsletter that we send out every Friday at three o'clock, which has all of the week's news stories on there. So do subscribe to that email. If you found this podcast interesting or useful, I'd be really happy if you could leave us a nice review. Hit subscribe and tell a friend or two on social media. We are at Business Herald. Thank you very much. Thanks to both of you again and see you next time on the Business Herald podcast. voice not video right it records both no but for what's going out is voice uh so mine and paul's voice will go out and then and then your face <laughs> I'm, wearing, I'm wearing a hoodie and no makeup